how good is that? What we can come together and just declare God to be good in light of all the things that he has already done for us. And we, uh, we talked about that last week, about what worship was and, and uh, just its, its connection to us. And the, the most important thing that we can do is, is worship God in our lives. And we continue in our reading this morning and where we're really going to land in all these things. And we look at the scripture in Luke 8. Uh, that's where we'll start, um, but we'll have a few other places that we want to jump to. So um, Luke eight sixteen through 18, and Jesus makes this remarkable image about the light of the world. He says, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. So we are in this series called In and Out, where we're really learning about spiritual practices, learning how to develop a routine, a rhythm of grace in our life that allows um, space, intentional space for, uh, for us to know Jesus and love him even deeper. These are not a list of to-dos, but a place that we can intentionally create space so that we know of God and we know him even deeper. Last week we talked about worship. We talked about the idea of the practices of worship and how we can practice those things in our life. In our life. We talked about celebration, gratitude, uh, holy seeing, this idea of uh, visio divinia. Um, we talked about creating a Sabbath in our week. And we talked about worship itself and how we can value God over everything. If you didn't get a chance to hear that message, it is online. We're now recording all our messages so you can go back and hear that um, and discover some of those things that we uncovered in the first week of our practices. Um, We discovered that worship is a top-down, not a bottom-up. So it's a response to the revelation of God. He reveals himself to us. And we said that worship is a response to that. And so worship is therefore the foundation of all our spiritual practices. And so as we've been going through these, worship has been foundational to everything. And so in order to respond to God's revelation, however, we need to be paying attention. We need to be on the lookout for it. We need to open ourselves to God so that we can know where he is, the presence of him in our life as we go along. So we talked about worship and that acronym worship is going to spell all of our um, spiritual practices. So we're on week two, which is an O and open myself to God. So if worship is a response, then openness is noticing. So as we go through these things, we're going to just give ourselves one extra easy word that will help us to um, just pull this all together. So worship is response. That means openness is noticing. Um, Though the openness spiritual practices, they really help us pay attention to our lives and God's activity within them. So in order to make a response to God, in order to be people that can worship well, we need to first be noticing where those revelations come from. 
it really helps us open us to the truth about ourselves, who we see ourselves as in light of what Jesus has come and done in our lives and as believers. And really the openness practices uh, specifically address how to make space in this crowded life that we live to notice the movements of the Spirit of God. So this is all about being present. It's all about noticing. It's all about paying attention. It's all about how we see and hear and how well we can do those things. Um, The Bible teaches that knowing and noticing happen through hearing and seeing. In fact, if you look through the Psalms, if you look through the Old Testament, if you look through the uh, passage we read today in Isaiah, what uh, the Israelites and the Hebrew, ancient Hebrews continued to do is turn away from God. And how God represented that was you have closed your ears. You have turned away from me so you cannot see me. And so the way that we function in a life with God is hearing from him. Here's a passage from Frederick Buechner. He says, if I can't see you for some reason, but can only hear you, you don't exist for me in space, which is where seeing happens, but in time rather, which is where hearing happens. Your words follow one after the other, the way talk follows tick. When I have only the sound of you to go by, I don't experience you as an object the way I would if you stood before me something that I can walk around, inspect from all angles, more or less define. I experience you more the way I experience the beating of my own heart or the flow of my own thoughts. A deaf man coming upon me listening to you would think that nothing of importance was going on, but something of extraordinary importance is going on. I am taking you more fully into myself than I can any other way. Hearing you speak brings me by the most direct of all roots, something of the innermost secret of who you are. It's no surprise that the Bible uses hearing, not seeing, as the predominant image for the way human beings know God. They can't walk around him and take him in like a cathedral or an artichoke. They can only listen to time for the sound of him, to the good times and the bad times of their own lives For the words which out of his innermost secrets he is addressing to, of all people, them. So this concept of hearing is so predominant in the Bible. This concept of hearing from God because we can't stand in his presence yet. So we need to hear And we need to learn to tune into the frequencies that God is speaking to us in. We need to learn to grasp his truth. And Jesus uses the image of a lamp in Luke 8, and he also uses the image of the lamp in Luke 11. And these are kind of twin passages with each other. And instead of talking about hearing, though, he talks about seeing as a way to recognize the truth of God. He writes in Luke 11, 33 through 36, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bull. That's the exact same sentence as Luke 8:16. He says instead they put it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. Now this is where he switches. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. 
But when they are unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. All right, so let's take apart these passages because they're twin, they're working as twin stories. And I don't, this is what happens sometimes is people look at the Bible and they're like, there's all kinds of errors in it. These two stories are exactly the same. Why would Luke do that unless there was some sort of big error in the way he was doing these things? Well, here's what Luke is doing. He's actually pulling from a lot of different sources. Luke did a lot of interviews personally. He did a lot of investigation. Luke is so great. The book of Luke is so, um, it's so detailed Um, But he's also pulling from the book of Matthew, and he's pulling from the book of Mark. He's pulling from another lost source called the Q source. So this story in, uh, this passage in Matthew um, is what lines up to Luke 11. And the story from Mark 4 is what lines up to Luke 8. And so they're slightly different because they're pulled from two different sources. And Luke is like, I think they're different enough that I'm just going to put them both in. So I think it attests to the Bible's um, truth. I think that it shows that the Bible is a living document, that people went and investigated who Jesus was and the things that he said. And Luke came to the determination that Jesus is who he says he is. And here's how I know, because he traveled across the countryside and he kept teaching this metaphor, this picture of the light of the lamp on a lampstand. And that's important to know, and here's why. And so we get these two exact same stories, but they're telling us two different things in the same way. Jesus uses the image of a lamp to describe God revealing himself to us. A lot of times people will take this passage and and they'll say, oh, you know what, this shows that we need to hang our lamp on a lampstand. We always need to be evangelizing and we always need to be preaching the truth to people. Those are true things. You should do that. But I think what this passage is specifically talking about is that the light has come to people. Here is the lamp. Here is Jesus standing in front of you, teaching you, working with the disciples, preaching to the Pharisees. The light of the world is here. And some people's response to that is to take it and put it into a dark corner of their house, the deepest cellar place. Hide it under a basket, hide it under a bed, hide it in the basement. This is our response to the light of the world. And often things we, oftentimes we think that we have this impossible task of searching for hidden things, hearing from a God that we can't see. What, how are we supposed to do this? How am I supposed to be in the presence of God, the presence of the glory manifested through Jesus if I can't be there to see him? But Jesus promises to us that everything that has been hidden to you, everything that is a problem will be brought out into the open. Everything that has been concealed. And so again, Jesus is saying, you can try to put the lamp in a corner. You can try and put it in the deepest, darkest place of your house, but it will be revealed. If you want it to be revealed, all you have to do is pay attention to where it is. The lamp illustrates to us the greatest thing about the God that we worship 
and that is God wants to be known. We cannot open ourselves to someone or something that we don't notice. We can't open ourselves to someone that doesn't want to be known. But we know that we worship a God that wants to be known. Praise him for that. Because these gods of ancient Israel, these gods of the ancient Near East that, you know, the Assyrians and the Akkadians and um, the Babylonians and all of these uh, people surrounding Israel, they had gods that were hidden to their eyes, that were mysteries, that were, well, we're going to pray to them and if they show up, then maybe they don't. And they never do show up because they're not real. But when God reveals himself to his people, we know that God's character shows he wants to be known. And that's what separates him from all of those other gods, lesser gods with a tiny G. That's what separates him is that he is a God that wants to be known. And when he hands us the light, when he hands us the truth, when he hands us who he is and his son revealed in him, we take it and we hide it. And we say, I don't want to be with you. It's like asking your best friend to go on a camping trip and then never talking to him. It's like going fishing and never talking to the guy that's in your boat with you. God wants to be known. He wants to know that he is present in our life wherever we go and whatever we do. And yet we fail. Now, Jesus goes a step further and reminds us that knowing God means that other people know God. Our intentions are usually good. We want to put the lamp in the dark places. God, open us up so that we can see those dark places in our soul. God, light up the room so that other people may see. We want to illuminate things. We want to illuminate and use the truth in our lives, but we illuminate those places that nobody else can see. So what good is light in the basement when everyone is sitting in the living room in the dark? What good is the light if it's not being used to light the whole room so people can see it? The revelation that we get from God isn't meant to sit in some dark cellar. It's meant to be explored. It's meant to be experienced. It's meant to be noticed in our lives so that we can interact with it and know it. And that causes us to do something. It causes us to respond to that. God has shown up in our lives. And what are we going to do about it? But there is still caution in these passages. Jesus says, consider carefully how you hear. It's not enough to hear correct doctrine and theology. We have to pay careful attention to how we hear God's message. And Jesus says this to the Pharisees in John 5. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me and receive this life. We can get so bogged down. We can get so just troubled By what does the scripture say? What does the scripture say? What's the theology on this? Let's break this down into a systematic way. The reformers kind of got caught up in this as well, where they wanted to come in and take the Bible apart and say, here's how we can apply the Bible in every part of our life. Except Calvin was a big fan of Paul, 
but he failed to see Jesus was the result of all of these things, the fulfillment of all of these things. Jesus shows the way in everything that we do. And those who, ex- who can examine what they receive from Jesus, often they may receive his words grudgingly. They may resent the fact that there are scriptures about this. And they want to keep things dark or closed off in relationships. The whole point is don't be deceived by what you receive. Test everything to make sure that it is from the Spirit. Test everything to know that God has placed it in your life. Hearing and seeing well is important so we don't attribute something to God that doesn't belong to him. If you think you have knowledge, which really isn't the point, knowledge, but really only have false knowledge, you'll be spreading darkness. God wants our lamp, his lamp, the light of the sun to be the thing that goes out in front of us. So we're called to examine what we think is light to be sure it's not darkness. And this is the whole point of our practices this morning, to open ourselves up to that light, to make sure that what it is, what's happening and what's coming from God is from God. God, God calls us not only to the light, but to close off completely from darkness. When we're open to God, our whole being experiences the light of God. Our whole being is influenced by the light. And so Jesus is saying, if you see well, if you hear well, your whole life will be affected by that. And if you're not having your whole life affected by it, if the light is not shining, if the people around you are not affected by what you have in your life, then you're probably not hearing effectively. You're probably not seeing effectively. And so today we're going to look at how we can do that. We're going to look at how we can learn in our lives to take steps to open ourselves to God to make sure that we can hear and see well. A person who hears well and sees well will understand even more clearly. Jesus said, he who has more will be given. He who doesn't, it will be taken away. And so Jesus is saying, if you hear well, you will begin to see clearer and hear better and understand more deeply the love and nature of God. We also may deliberately not want to hear. We may close our eyes and turn our backs on God's revelation because we don't want the added responsibility that comes with seeing and hearing. Added knowledge brings added responsibility, so we may just bury our head in the sand and say, yeah, I know what I need to do. I'm hearing from God in this, but actually that's not what I want to do. And so again, we can line up our lives and say, I hear from God, but I just decide I don't want to do what he, and then we go around and we ask, what do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? And then we find someone that agrees with us and we're like, yes, that's what I was talking about. That's what I wanted to do. I knew that what I was hearing wasn't from God. And then our life is a disaster and we wonder what happened. I thought I made the right choice, but maybe I didn't. Intentionally learning to notice when God shows up is a huge part of the spiritual journey. We place the lamp on the lampstand so that all who enter the room may see the light. And in the same way, we remain open to God, not closed off so that we and others can experience his presence. And so this morning, 
in the last and the final moments that we have together, we're going to walk through five practices of openness, ways that we can learn to pay attention to where God is, his presence in our life, noticing those things even more clearly. And so the first one is the practice of contemplation, the practice of questioning, the practice of thinking, the practice of sitting and reflecting on who God is. Contemplation is all about waking up. To be contemplative is to experience an event fully in all of its aspects. What was the good? What was the bad? What happened through this? Practices include refusing the compulsion to go everywhere. We need to start saying no to some things so that we can say yes to the moments of God in our life. We also need to uh, really practice reflection, reflecting on our experiences. Um, There's an ancient practice called the examine, which was uh, a favorite of Ignatius of Loyola, our old friend Ignatius. And it's the process of reflecting on your day. And it's a question, two questions that you ask at the very end of the day. In fact, I was just reading the, uh, an article that said the best formational tool for children is to ask them, what did you do today? Because it helps them create a narrative. It helps them to tie memories together. It helps them process emotions. It helps them experience their day more fully when they can repeat it back to someone. And so we used to use this technique when we were in uh, working with the middle schoolers. We called it apples and oranges. What were the apples in your, li- in your life today, in your day today, and what were the onions? Uh, what did you do that was good? What did you do that was bad? What are the things that you uh, most looked forward to today? What things did you dread today? When we can reflect on our experiences, we can reflect on where God is. And so the questions that Ignatius uh, of Loyola would, I just love that name, Ignatius, Uh, The questions that Ignatius would ask, uh, where did I experience deep connection to God? Where did I feel furthest from God? So we're asking about the high and the low. Where did I feel most grateful today? Where did I feel least grateful today? Where did I feel like I was in control of my life? Where did I feel I was out of control of my life today? These are the questions... uh, What moment today am I most grateful for? What moment today am I least grateful for? Uh, Did I experience um, the presence of God? Where did I feel farthest from God today? This plus minus system is a great way to just take the day at the very end very quickly and say, what was today like? Where was I practicing the presence of God Where was I recognizing God's presence in my experiences? And these are just a great way. Where was I living out the spirit of God? Where was I forgetting the spirit of God? All of these questions are part of the examine. And this was a practice that he did for many, many years over his life to get us to a place that we can reflect and start to say, okay, God, where were you in this moment? And we can see all of those things together. The next practice is the actual practice of the presence of God, practicing the presence. Practicing the presence is an invitation to see and experience every moment as a gift of God. 
It is to live alive to union with the Trinity. We want in this practice to develop a continual openness and awareness of Christ's presence living in me. Paul writes in Colossians 3, he says, Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. Christ is your life. You don't have a life apart from Christ. And so recognizing his presence in your life daily is the most important thing in this practice that you can do. And remember, we're not telling you to do all of these things. What we want you to do is find one thing that you can do to help you create that space of learning about God. And this is really, the practice includes the intentionality of uh, of just bringing yourself before God as you engage in the activities and duties of your daily life. And really, it's all about seeking to see others through the eyes of God, that if I'm present with Christ all day long, how do I see people as he would see? This is really just about creating a develop and developing a deeper union with Christ and receiving each moment as sacred. We don't want competition. We want uh, just the completion of all of these things that Christ is bringing into our life. Another practice that you may choose to decide to to practice is rest, and this is really a big one. Um, What we want to do with rest is to honor God and really our human limitations through restful rhythms. We want to be able to give up some of that time where we've spent uh, in uh, busy places And we want to reclaim it for rest. We want to reclaim that uh, ability to slow down. Um, Entering into rest depends on honoring God with our God-given limits. By paying attention to the physical, mental, and spiritual needs of the body, we learn when and how to rest. Now, rest could include slowing down. It could also include unplugging for a time where we just get rid of all of our electronic devices, where we just uh, spend the time reading or doing something slow, sitting at the table longer, lingering uh, where we are with friends and good time, just setting aside unhurried time to rest and be refreshed rather than be consumed with work or things that uh, stress us out. Um, And really, utilizing vacation time and time off that you have. Don't be afraid to do that. If your body, listen to your body, and you need to develop that rhythm of rest and taking time off. Um, And what this is going to do for us as we practice rest, it's um, it's going to... relieve us from the compulsion. It's going gonna, it's gonna to free us from that compulsion uh, to take our identity from what we do. Our identity is not our job. Our identity is not our role. Our identity is in Christ. And we need to practice that daily. 
That if we have a failure at work, that does not reflect on us. That's not our identity as people. If we have a failure as a mother or a father or a husband or a wife or a friend, that's our role, but that doesn't reflect on our identity in Christ. And we need to rest in that identity. And it's gonna free us from the compulsion and the need to do everything, everywhere, all of the time. Just take some time to breathe and to relax and to be a person with God and to retreat into those moments. And the next thing that we can practice is simplicity, simple living, not building ourselves up and and, uh, complicating things and tangling ourselves up in the lives of others. But we really want to uncomplicate our lives and untangle our lives so that we can focus on the things that really matter. See, simplicity or simple living cultivates the great art of letting go, of releasing control of things in your life. Simplicity aims at loosening uh, inordinate attachment to owning and having. Simplicity brings freedom and with it, it brings generosity. Simple living can open your life So it's not complicated and it's not tangled up. And those moments when you start to say, man, why is everything so difficult? Well, let's just stop and be with God. What is God telling you in this moment? When we want to practice simplicity, we need to see God in those interruptions in our life. That if we're working on a big project or we're working on something that's really important to us and somebody comes and interrupts us like a kid or a moment or something else, we need to stop and be with God and say, God, What is this meaning? What can I take from this? Why are we doing this? Practices of simplicity mean downsizing your possessions, maybe selling things, maybe getting rid of all the things. There's an author named Bob Goff who every Thursday he would lose something. It was called Losing Thursday. He would take one thing in his life and get rid of it every Thursday. And it could have been a material possession. It could have been some habit or some hobby that he had. But every Thursday, he just let go of it so that he could be more present to the people in his life rather than holding on uh, to those things. But learn, uh, the practice also includes enjoying simple pleasures that require no expense, taking a walk in the park, uh, listening to the rain, all of these simple things in life that we don't think we have time for, but we can meet God in those. Removing distractions and preoccupations with things. And then we can really, and through this practice, we can think that we can start to live an uncluttered life, become clearer as a person and creating more space for God to show up in your life. And there's one final one here. And it's called teachability, the practice of being teachable. And teachability is to remain a lifelong learner who is continually open to the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the one I'm going to be practicing this week uh, because sometimes I can get into a routine where I think I know everything. I know every answer. And God comes to me and says, no, you don't. You do not know everything. And here, let me show you. And then I close my ears and I close my eyes and I say, no, God, I can handle this. I can do this. It's, it's okay. Teachability is our tendency um, and openness to learn from God, no matter who the teacher is or what the experience may be. 
Um, it's really curbing, and through this practice, we have to curb the know-it-all attitude. We have to listen more and talk less, asking questions that lead to an awareness. Those are the, some of the things that we can do in teachability. Um, and what teachability can help us do is it can develop humility in us. It can help us to be a better listener, a more eager listener. It can help us become aware of the hardness of our heart or the unwillingness to love and grow. And it will help us to become a lifelong learner. We don't want to be the teacher in every setting of our life. And we want to allow people to teach us and bring us into those moments. So we have a lot of things there. And again, we don't need to grab everything and say, I got to do these and do these. This is about creating intentional space so that you can come to a deeper love and knowledge of Jesus. And so we can take one of those things from today and practice it through the week and learn to notice where God is present in our lives.